0: Our world feels unstable. That's sort of where we've started with this series, thinking about how there are things that we've depended on for maybe years and decades, and suddenly those things are slipping away. There are things that have changed that we never thought would change, and it has this feeling of making it seem like everything is shifting beneath us. And we've been talking about that the last few weeks, and we've been looking to Scripture to find some some sources of stability in the midst of an unstable world. So the first three weeks, we talked about how God himself, the very nature of God, can make us feel more stable in the midst of an unstable world. We talked about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And really, everything else is built on that, right? It all starts with God. And then last week we talked about how the church can provide stability in the midst of an unstable world. And today I want us to continue sort of thinking about relationships and how relationships can provide some of that stability for us. Now, one of the things that's at work in our culture, we sort of think about it, are some competing truth claims. Now, I talked about that once already in the series, but some of those competing truth claims are really about how do we value people, and how do we value ourselves? What makes a a valuable life? Now, the world tells us all kinds of things. Like the world would tell us that accumulating wealth means that you're a success, you're a valuable person. And in fact, lots of people in our culture define success as do really well in your work, make a lot of money, and hang on to it. And if you've done that, then you've succeeded in life. And in fact, We tend to defer to people who have wealth, right? Lots of organizations do that, whether it's some kind of college or a charity. I mean, the people with lots of wealth can make sure that that charity or college continues to do their work, and so they favor people like that. Political parties favor people who can make large campaign donations and elect the people that they've chosen, so the leaders of those parties defer to those wealthy people. If we're not careful, even churches can do that, right? Trying to build a building or continue ministry or expand something. It's easy for church leaders to defer to people of wealth because they can make that happen. And so in our culture, we sometimes do that. We think if I've made a lot of money, then I must be successful and my life is valuable. Another truth claim is that if you've got position and power and authority, then you've succeeded. That's a valuable life. And we sort of like to be around people who have an important position. We, we want to be associated with them. And then there's influence. Our culture has begun to use the word influencer a lot, right? People are going to tell you what clothes you should wear or house or car you should buy or how your makeup or hair should be done. Lots of influencers out there to tell us all sorts of things. And It's sort of about celebrity and sort of about knowing stuff and all this is going on. And we think if you have that notoriety, that celebrity, you must have succeeded, right? I mean, if you look at the NFL the last two weeks, there's very little news about football and a lot of news about Taylor Swift, right? So even that is at work in our culture, that if you have this social influence, then you must have succeeded, and those things can work against one another and we have to figure out, okay, is any of that true? And in our hearts, I think when we look across that landscape and we're affected by all that, right? Even if we don't agree with it, it's the air that we breathe and social media and lots of other media and it just becomes part of us, but yet we somehow know that money and power and influence, celebrity... Are really not the things that count the most, so what is? In the midst of a culture that tells us that's really what matters, we have to think through, okay, what really is important in life? Now, we're not the first culture to deal with those things. In the first century, when the church is emerging and trying to figure out who they are in Roman culture, they were dealing with some similar forces because you look at Roman culture and money was really important. If you could build some kind of really spacious and incredibly beautiful uh, villa on a mountainside near Rome, you had succeeded. Wealth was important. There's hardly been a culture in which position and power was more important than the Roman Empire. If you could get a position, you were an important person. And even though they didn't have social media and all that, still there were influencers in the ancient world, people who were known for their style and they were looked up to as well. So even though it was a very different culture, some of those same truth claims were being made in the air that the first century Christians breathed. What did the biblical writers say to that? Today, I want us to think about that. We're going to turn to really what I think is one of the most beautiful and powerful passages in the whole New Testament, maybe in all of Scripture, and we find it in Paul's letter, the first letter that we have to the church in Corinth. Now, he wrote two letters to this church that's in an important Roman city, okay, and even though the church is important, they're having all kinds of trouble. I mean, there is multiple problems going on in the church in Corinth if you read through these two letters. But in the midst of that, Paul's dealing with one problem in the middle of 1 Corinthians where these people had experienced powerful gifts or expressions of the Holy Spirit at work in the life of the church. So some people could stand up and preach, and let's say there's a group of people out there, and they all speak different languages, and the people who are hearing hear it in their native language, even though the speaker doesn't know it, okay? Or they were speaking in a language that seemingly nobody on earth speaks, but maybe there was an interpreter in the church who could lay that out, and this would be a message from God. Or maybe there are people who had prophecy, all kinds of things going on, but It became a problem because the Corinthian Christians began to think, okay, if I've got this gift, I must be better than everybody else, right? Oh, but this gift is even more important for the life of the church. So I must be sort of closer to God because I've experienced this. And so you've got all this stuff going on where they're sort of taking privilege and all this in the early life of this church in Corinth. And Paul deals with that and he says, listen, you've got it all wrong. You think that you can do something special in ministry, but really and truly what you don't understand is the most important thing. And he lays that out in 1 Corinthians 13, a very familiar passage of scripture we hear it in weddings and other settings. So these words are sort of part of the culture, but you know if I take it apart too much, it's going to lose some of the beauty. So I'll lose some of the beauty. So I want to read it in chunks so you can sort of hear what Paul has to say. So the first 3 verses, 1 Corinthians 13 Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, those languages that we were talking about, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. Nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So Paul says you can experience all kinds of expressions of the Holy Spirit. You can do stuff in the church and in ministry and think you're really important. But if you are not a person characterized by love, then all that is garbage. I mean, he talks about those gifts of language and all that, and he says, really, if you've got those gifts, and yet you don't express love, you're like somebody's just banging away on a cymbal, or he says, literally, it says, you're like a bronze. Now, the reason Paul uses that word here is because the Corinthians were known for their bronze work, and they often made sort of like a megaphone out of bronze, so you could project your voice further, so they were loud. So Paul's saying, listen, if if you have the gift of prophecy or languages or any of that stuff, but you're not a person of love, then you're just making a lot of noise, okay? If you have incredible faith, if that's at work in you. Even though faith is important, if you've got prophecy, if you can sort of solve mysteries of faith, but you're not characterized by love, it's nothing, even if you sort of do incredible acts of piety, like you give away money, you're known for giving away money, okay? And you've given yourself over to persecution so that you can sort of gain higher status, but you're not characterized by love. All that stuff that, thinks you, that you think has gotten you somewhere, it's a waste. You've gained nothing. So what Paul is saying, to, to I believe, to us, is whatever it is in your life, this sort of gives you spiritual pride, like you're think, you think you're special because you've done this or achieved this. Like, I have perfect attendance at church this year, so I must be good. Or I've read my Bible and prayed every day for this whole year or months beyond that. Or whatever it is that you think makes you special, Paul says if you're not characterized by love, it really doesn't matter. You've missed the boat. You don't understand what's really important. So to the Corinthians, you're battling over all this stuff and trying to figure out how, who has a higher place. Really what you should focus on is love at work in your life. Well, what kind of love? Well, Paul talks about that beginning in verse 4. He says what love is, what love isn't, what love doesn't do, and what love does. <clears throat> Here we go. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not, honor, it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. There's a lot there, and Paul is describing a specific kind of love here that should characterize the followers of Jesus. Now, Many of you know that in English we sort of have one word for love, right? I mean, we use the same word whether we're talking about I love my spouse, I love my kids, I love pepperoni pizza. Those should not really be the same kind of love. For some of you it might be, but it really should not be, okay? It should be different. In the Greek language, the language of the New Testament, there are several words for love. One is sort of a romantic kind of uh, love between husband and wife. One is more of a, the kind of love you have for siblings or really close friends. And then there's another word, a word that some of you have heard before, the word agape, a word that describes love. Now, here's what's interesting about the word agape. <clears throat> it really points to self-giving or self-sacrificing love. It's a love where you have to give something up for the person that you love. Now, we have lots of literature from the ancient world in the language of Greek, okay, that stretches back beyond the Bible, before the Bible, and goes up past the Bible. So lots of samples of Greek literature that we have available to us. What we find is that the word agape shows up occasionally. Maybe even seldom is a better word to use there in all that literature outside of the Bible. But then the New Testament is written. And it shows up a lot. And in fact, every time love is mentioned here in 1 Corinthians 13, it is this agape, self-giving, self-sacrificing kind of love. And then Christians after the New Testament, the early church writers, used the word agape a lot. It's as if the Christians sort of identified this word that was seldom used and adopted it as their Sort of their characteristic key virtue that was a part of the life of being a follower of Jesus. And that carried forward after scripture was written. And it seems to me that the reason they chose this word, this self-giving, self-sacrificing, agape kind of love, because the greatest example of that kind of love is Jesus on the cross. Because Jesus willingly chose to go to the cross to give himself up, to sacrifice himself for us. And so when Christians began to express that same kind of agape love to each other, it characterized who Jesus was, and they could become part of that. So it becomes a key virtue in the life of the church, and Paul points that out at the end of the chapter where he says, and now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Now these three, faith, hope, and love, show up together in more than one place in the New Testament. Paul uses the same sort of trio in the book of Colossians. It's elsewhere. And they're all important, right? I mean, you can't be a Christian without faith. You've got to have faith in who Jesus is. You've got to trust Him with everything that matters. And that faith automatically leads to a certain hope that God is at work right now and he'll be at work for eternity. But Paul says even though those things are important, and he is not diminishing faith or hope here, he says the thing that should characterize us the most, the one that is the greatest, is love. This agape, self-giving, self-sacrificing kind of love. This is what we should be all about. In fact, we say that our church is all about loving God and loving others. That's what we want to do. That's what we want to accomplish in this community. Love God and love others. Well, it's this kind of love we're talking about. And to me, it takes us to the point that I think Paul's trying to teach us here, which is love is the greatest. Now, each week we've sort of looked to Scripture for guidance And then had to back up and say, okay, what what does this truth from Scripture say to us looking for stability in an unstable world? If we live in a world that says the things that are most important, the things that make a valuable life are wealth, position and power and influence, celebrity, popularity. How does what Paul says speak into that world? Because we are powerfully affected by the world in which we live. Our culture speaks into our lives. So what does Paul have to say to that? He says, love is the greatest. And even though we may pursue some of this other stuff, the thing that will remain in the end is this question of love. And this is what characterizes the people of Jesus. So Even though the world may tell us lots of things, one of the things that we can depend on is what really matters in life. What we really need to pursue is this kind of love. And I think that's illustrated in all kinds of ways. For example, there's going to be a day when a group of people, maybe we don't know exactly who it'll be, will sit down and write an obituary about every one of us. It'll go in the paper and online and people will read it. And they may include some things about stuff we've accomplished, right? They might talk about how we achieved these educational degrees, right? Or they may talk about a position that we had or the work that we do. And they'll talk about whether we're a Cubs fan or a Cards fan and we love dogs and all that stuff, okay? But here's what I know. All that stuff that's included in an obituary about maybe about how we got wealth because we gave money away or a position we held, or how we were important in the community, all those things that sort of look important won't be nearly as important to the people who write the obituary as the question of, did she or he love me? What it will all come down to is, did he or she show love. All the accomplishments, all the stuff that shows up in the obituary eventually will sort of disappear. And for the people closest to us, the question will always be, how did they show love? The thing that matters will be this agape, self-giving, self-sacrificing kind of love. And they will talk about, if it's there, how we gave something up to try to make their lives better, how we said something that made a difference, how we helped them out, those are the stories that'll be passed down. And maybe they'll talk about the job we had or whatever else that's on that obituary, but but the stories traded most often will be about love. And so the question comes to us today, with the people that are closest to us, the people that matter the most to us, this day, would they say, yeah, he's characterized, she's characterized by that kind of agape love that's in the Bible? Here's the good news. We have some control over the amount of money we make and the amount of money that we accumulate, okay? We have some control over that, but we do not have complete control over that. There are people in this church who can tell you that they lost a bundle on something that happened that was really no fault of their own, and it's just money's gone, okay? And we have some control over the job that we have and the position we hold, some control, but not complete control. People get laid off. Jobs come to an end. And we have very little control over influence and notoriety and all those things. But we have a lot of control over whether we express love to the people around us. In fact, we make decisions every single day. Am I going to show love to the people who matter to me most? And we don't consciously think through that question, but we have choices to make over whether we do something that someone else needs us to do or do we not? Do we sort of ignore their need? Or do we act on it? We have amazing control over the one thing that matters the most in those relationships. And that's whether we express love or not. So the question for us today is, Are our lives characterized by love? And if your answer is, you know what, I I think it is. I think the people closest to me would say that they know that I love them by the way that I treat them. And if you're in that place, that's awesome. But if you're like a lot of us, who would say, you know what, there are times when, when when it shows up, when it's pretty clear that I love the people around me, and then there are other times when I probably missed some real opportunities to show genuine love to people who matter in my life. If that's your honest answer, well, you can change the future, right? Can't change the past, but you can change the future. And you have tremendous control over whether you show that kind of love for the people around you. Because in the end, that's what's going to matter. Because love is the greatest. Let's pray together. God, we're thankful for the love that you've shown us. We only only understand what love is is at all because of the way you've loved us. So God, we give thanks for the cross. We give thanks for the way that that shows us what self-giving, self-sacrificing love really is. And God, we pray that you would fill us with just that kind of love for the people around us. Help us to know the needs and and meet the needs that we can. Help us to give wherever we can to show just how much we love the people around us. And God, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and continue to worship.